Good morning, Foothill Bible Church. It is good to be with you this Sunday morning. Greetings from Summit Bible Church, your spiritual sons and daughters that you have birthed and sent to Fontana. Summit Bible Church is the church plant of Foothill. And let me just say from Summit Bible Church to you, we are so grateful for our parents in the faith for a church here in Upland that's faithful to the gospel, faithful to the word of God, and that still blesses us, prays for us, and houses us when we are without a home. So for that short while during the COVID lockdowns, many of you know we were meeting here on Sunday afternoons. Some of us felt like the adult children who moved back into their parents' basement. But we are so grateful for, again, kind parents, hospitable parents, and Foothill Bible Church. So my love for you and thankfulness for you, just you, you, can't, you can't even know how, how grateful I am for you and your pastors here. They minister to me. And I want to rush to say that I look up to your teaching pastor big time. He is a, an example in the faith to me. Um, I myself have been reading, watching, and praying for the lugs, and just so ministered to by Micah and his exemplary trust in Christ when the Lord threw him against the rock. Through this trial, the, the scriptures tell us that trials purify us. Trials strengthen us. And I'm confident that When Micah steps back into this pulpit and preaches, you will find a stronger preacher and a stronger pastor. And so I am so grateful that the Lord has brought healing into Owen's life and brought the lugs back home where they're able to continue to recover in the house, which we all know is way more comfortable in a lot of ways than the hospital. And I may need to take a Sunday off for your first sermon back here because I want to listen to see what the Lord has been teaching you. So I'm grateful for this church. Would you open your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians, please? At Summit Bible Church, we've been walking through this incredible epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Paul writes this later in his life. He's in chains, in prison, writing to this church. And uh, we have been studying this epistle, and we have come close to the end. In fact, next week I'll preach the final greeting, and we're going to move to a different book of the Scriptures. I want to give you a, a, a flyover review of the book before we go to the passage that I'll preach this morning. Ephesians really, to sum it up, is, is a call to live your life worthy of the calling. To live your life, Christian, worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You could split the book up into two parts. You have the first half, chapters one through three, that is a mountainous testimony of your salvation. Chapter one gives heaven's perspective of your salvation. Chapter two, you could say, is our experience of salvation. I like to call chapter 3 a salvation appendix. God clarifies the purpose of the mystery of the gospel 
and its application to our life. The second half of Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 is practical. It's a call to live your life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The the key transition verse is chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Paul just has given us a mountainous testimony of your salvation. In a sense, he looks at you and says, now live a life that measures up to this calling to which you've been called. Literally, the Greek term there is to balance the scales with your life. It's a high calling to which we've been called. So chapters 4 and 5 tells us how to kind of every day walk out, live out our salvation specifically in the context of the church. At the end of chapter 5, beginning of 6, we have instructions for how to live this out in our family units, wives, husbands, children's fathers, even slaves and masters. And then at the end of 6, Paul gives his final exhortation. And we're familiar with this maybe passage of Scripture talking about the armor of God. This is a fun text, a fun passage. This is the subject of a lot of Sunday school uh, teachings, isn't it? It's fun to look and imagine the armor of God as being a suit of armor that we place on ourselves. And the goal of this armor we see in in the text is to stand against the opposition of spiritual forces, specifically Satan and his spiritual forces. And so we have... In this chapter, six pieces of armor that are distinguished that we are to apply to our lives. First, in verse 14, we have the belt of truth. Secondly, in verse 14, we see we have the breastplate of righteousness. Thirdly, we have in verse 15, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Fourthly, in verse 16, we have the shield of faith. Fifthly, and sixthly, in verse 17, we have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What a picture, isn't it? We can imagine that Paul is maybe even glancing to his right at this Roman soldier that he's chained to, and he says, ah, I have an illustration that will help Christians remember how to stand firm, how to stand firm against spiritual opposition. So we have this great illustration, this great picture, and this is where, unfortunately, a lot of pastors stop their series. They do a sermon series on the armor of God, and they'll stop with that sixth piece. Say, okay, you have the full suit of armor. You know, this is the end of the illustration, if you will. A Sunday school teacher might stop at verse 17, but that's unfortunate. Because that's not where the Apostle Paul stops in his exhortation to us. Paul doesn't stop with this picture, this illustration of the suit of armor, when he tells you what you need to do to prepare for war. There is a secret weapon, a means of grace by which we need to take up and apply in our lives in order for us to stand against opposition. You can turn on the news and see that we're in a spiritual war. 
We understand that. There are attacks in all varieties on our lives. I don't need to come up here and and just beat a dead horse and say, you're in spiritual war. Christian, you know that. Opposition you face daily. You know, I, I think the people who understand the spiritual war the best are mothers. <laughs> because the home is a battleground, isn't it? Upstairs, you hear, you know, shrapnel hitting the walls. Explosions in the other room you have to deal with. And you're dealing with sinnerlings, little hearts that are rebellious and disobedient. And you're trying to teach them the ways of God, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the war. Of, of the Lord. And, you know, husbands, we come home and we realize this is a battleground. There's war going on here. And so, of course, we are in spiritual war. We are constantly battling our own fleshly desires. We're constantly engaging in conflict, spiritual conflict around us. And Foothill Bible Church, we need this next section. We need this section, verses 18 to 20. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 6, 18 to 20, says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know, they tell you in seminary, there are two topics for sermons that will really convict Christians. Two topics for the preacher to preach that will convict Christians. Number one, evangelism. As many of us will admit that we as believers, we don't evangelize the way we ought to. A lot of Christians will confess that. The second topic that will convict every Christian is the topic of prayer. Because we as Christians admit we don't pray in the way that we ought to. We fall so short in this spiritual discipline, this means of grace, prayer. Do you pray? I'm not talking about the three prayers a day that come before your meals. Do you pray? I'm not talking about, you know, Sunday mornings when, you know, you gather for the members prayer meeting or you sit here and you pray following arts pastoral prayer. Do you pray, Christian? Do you pray like your life depends on it? I wonder if we were to take a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and you were to write out your prayers throughout the week. I wonder if you would be able to fill the page. I wonder if the primary topic of your prayers has been food and blessing bodies, and blessing food, and more food. Or if they've just been rote prayers that you throw up in the sky every day. Do you really pray? Do you pray alone? Do you pray regularly? 
Do you pray like your life depends on it, like your soul and your sanctification depends on it? Do you pray like the sanctification of the saints depends on it? Do you pray like the the salvation of sinners depends on it? That is exactly how the Apostle Paul calls us to pray today. We need to be prayerfully alert in this battle, Christian. We ought to be those who pray without ceasing at all times for the saints and for the mission, the glory of God and the great commission that he has given us, the church. So point number one, pray to be spiritually alert. If you have your outlines, that's the first point. Pray to be spiritually alert. Two participles in verse 18 that connect this section to the one previous. Again, this is a continuation of Paul's thought. He's preparing the Christian for war. And he's giving the Christian a suit of armor. And this is very important in applying that suit of armor. Praying and keeping alert. It's often that participles in Scripture further explain what it means to practically fulfill the command. In other words, if we look at the command previous, we ought to take up the armor of God prayerfully and alertly. Now, we know keeping alert is necessary for war. Uh, An aloof soldier is not only a danger to himself, but a danger to the other soldiers around him. It only takes one soldier who falls asleep on his watch to compromise the entire mission. I was reading an interesting article. Soldiers were sharing tips and tricks for how they stay awake on their night watch. They were interesting. Some soldiers pound energy drinks. Some soldiers chew on coffee beans. Others rub Tabasco sauce underneath their eyes. And they call it spicy eyes. That helps keep them awake. Now, the only problem is that their eyes are tearing so much they can't see. At least they're awake. The idea is that whatever it takes to stay on high alert, we can't afford to fall asleep. We know that. We can't afford to fall asleep. It leaves us and our squad massively vulnerable to attack. And the scriptures speak of the necessity for the Christian to be alert in spiritual battle. There's some verses on the screen. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Jesus says in Luke 12.35, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. 1 Thessalonians 5.6 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Staying alert is essential in spiritual warfare. We can't be caught off guard, can't be caught aloof. We can't afford to sleep. Now, what's interesting is that there is a strong correlation between prayer and alertness in the Scriptures. It's not just here in our text. We see it in our text. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We see this correlation in Colossians. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Finally, we look at Luke 21. 
verses 34 to 36. This is the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes off and he prays, and then he tells his disciples to stay, keep watch, pray. And what does he come back to find them doing? They're sleeping. He says this in verse 34, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, what? Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Correction on me. (laughs) This comes after Christ's teaching of the day of the Lord coming. The previous passage, Luke chapter 12. Or sorry, there's another text. Sorry, Mark 14. I'm confusing myself here. Mark 14, Jesus addresses his disciples who were falling asleep in the garden. He says this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. We see this correlated theme throughout the scriptures, prayer and alertedness. So the discipline of prayer and spiritual alertness, they go hand in hand in the Christian life. You can think of prayer like radar. It's a perpetual scan that warns us of coming temptation or attack. Prayer ought to be proactive, not reactive, or not just reactive. Isn't it telling that often when we pray, these most desperate prayers, these most sincere prayers, it comes after we've been hit by the trial, or it comes after we've been attacked, or when we're really going through something. We often pray reactively, don't we? But how often do we pray proactively to avoid attack, to avoid temptation? Lord, lead me not into temptation today. Prayers like radar helps warn us of coming attack and it prepares our heart to stand against it. It's more than radar, though. The very act of prayer draws from the everlasting resources of our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Prayer is often, if not always, the means by which we apply the whole armor of God. See, in prayer, we draw on the strength of our Savior. In prayer, we're mindful of our mission to stand against spiritual attack. In prayer, we're aware of our enemy, the evil one, and his spiritual forces. In in prayer, we apply God's truth, his righteousness, his peace, his faith, salvation, and his word in our lives. Said another way, without prayer, Christian, how can you expect to stand? Without prayer, how can you expect to discern the spiritual forces and their attacks? Without prayer, how can you expect to stay alert, to be on watch, to defend yourself? Dr. Jim Boyce writes this, Many Christians can trace the secret of a defeated life to prayerlessness. So you might ask, what does prayerful alertness look like practically? What does it look like to be proactive in our prayers, to be spiritually alert in them? Here are some examples for you. Lord, would you scan my heart and my life and reveal to me ways that I am weak, that I have sinned, and that I might be susceptible 
to temptation. Lord, today in front of me, I have this difficult decision. I have that difficult conversation. I have these difficult tasks. Please grant me the wisdom that comes from your word. Grant me the words to speak that are filled with truth and love. Grant me a sincere heart to work hard as unto the Lord and not to men. That would be a proactive prayer at the beginning of your day. How about this one? God, you know my trials. You know my troubles. You know my fears. Grant me endurance to stand today, to persevere, and to believe your promises. Give me the awareness to perceive spiritual attack and to stand against doubt, to stand against despair, to stand against sinful temptation. Christian, the more prayerful you are, the more aware and prepared you are. Be prayerfully alert. Well, this passage is helpful because it also explains how we can be prayerfully alert. That's the second point of your outline. How can we be prayerfully alert? How can we do this? The Apostle Paul explains how in a variety of phrases here. We see the first, letter A, pray at all times. Pray at all times. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Luke 18.1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. What does this mean? How can we always be praying and yet fulfill other life responsibilities like changing diapers, like vacuuming the house, like work projects that require our undivided attention, loving and serving our spouses, discipling our children. How can we be prayerfully doing those things? How can we be praying through those things? Like Morgan, I could barely tap my head and rub my stomach. How am I able to pray and also focus on my task? It seems as though we might need to stop praying at times. You know, when it is right to focus on our minds on other tasks and responsibilities. And that is true. We see even the Apostle Paul doing this. The Apostle Paul wasn't in this perpetual prayer, you know, like a um, schizophrenic talking one way and the other at the same time. What does it mean to pray at all times? How can we understand this? Write this down. Taking every opportunity in every season of life and throughout every day, to regularly pray to the Lord. I'll say it again, taking every opportunity in every season of life and throughout every day to regularly pray to the Lord. It may not be a minute-by-minute habit, but it should be a daily habit. It may not be the, in the midst of an important conversation or task, but certainly it would be, come before and after. The idea is that your days, your weeks, your months, and years are laced, bathed in dependent prayer. If someone knew your heart 
In fact, if someone could see your heart, your natural heart's response to every situation, or your natural heart's inclination before every big decision, would they describe you as prayerful or prayerless? I doubt anybody in this room struggles with praying too much or praying so much to the neglect of other life priorities. You know, just full confession. You know what what I've never heard from my wife? Honey, would you stop praying and come pay attention to me and the kids? I've heard her say, honey, would you stop doing something else and come pay attention to me and the kids? I've not heard of a man who whose boss sat him down and said, well, Johnny, I've been evaluating your work productivity, and it has gone way down since you've been wandering the office and praying. I've never heard that. If that's you, come talk to me after service. I'm guessing most of us in this room don't struggle with praying too much at inappropriate times and places, but we mostly struggle with praying too little in the appropriate times and places. Couldn't we all say, we could all take advantage of more opportunities, couldn't we? To be still before the Lord, to go confidently into his presence, to praise him, to thank him, to confess to him and to ask for help. We could do that more often. Pray at all times. Let her be. Pray in the Spirit. Look at the second phrase here. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Let's note first what it does not mean. Of course, it does not mean praying in the flesh. Because that's the opposite of praying in the Spirit. So it would not be asking God to fulfill your fleshly desires. Lord, give me a pay raise so I can finally buy that expensive sports car. Or Lord, give me the pay raise so I can get a better house. Or give me the fleshly desires that I want. No, that would not be praying in the Spirit. It would also not mean praying these kind of rote, routine, mindless prayers before meals or bedtime. That would not be praying in the Spirit. Jesus warns against praying like this. He says in Matthew 6, Don't pray like the Gentiles who heap up empty phrases, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Just because you're throwing words in the sky doesn't mean that it is a prayer in the Spirit. It does not mean praying in the Spirit to draw attention to yourself. Doesn't matter how elaborate or theologically concise your prayers are in small group, if the purpose of the prayer is to draw attention to yourself, then it is not a spirit filled prayer. Because the Spirit Himself does not draw attention to Himself. John 16, 13 through 14 tells us that. Jesus again warns against praying this way in Matthew 6. He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. It says, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So praying in the Spirit is not praying to draw attention to yourself. It also does not mean, and I'll note, praying in some sort of crazy angelic tongue, praying with this crazy language. That's not what it means because we know, according to Scripture, not everybody was given the gift of tongues, and we understand that to be an apostolic gift for the apostolic age that has since ceased. But this is a command for all believers, praying in the Spirit. This is something we can all do, so we don't have to have tongues in order to do this. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Firstly, it is praying with utter dependence upon God. It is coming to God in prayer with utter dependence upon Him. Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit helps us in our strength. No. Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So it's utter dependence upon God. It is also praying in accordance with the will of God. Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. The Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. It is a God-centered prayer, not a man-centered prayer. Praying in the Spirit means praying, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We don't come to God like the angry teenager who busts open the office door and says, God, give me what I want. That would be praying in the flesh. Praying in the Spirit means you come to the Lord in love. You come to Him in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Praying in the Spirit means we pray listening to the guidance of the Spirit. I don't mean to sound too mystical here, like we're hearing the voice, the audible voice of God, but there is a sense of listening to God when we pray. Jesus talked about the Spirit's ministry in this. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. 1 Corinthians 2 says that it is by the Holy Spirit that we understand the mind of God through the Word of God. Twice in the book of Acts, we see the apostles literally change directions or stop because they've been prompted by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what does it mean to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit when you pray? Here's what it might look like. Three things. First, ask Him to reveal hidden sin in your heart and confess it. Simple as that. Lord, reveal hidden sin in my heart so that I may confess it. The Spirit will answer that prayer. Number two, ask Him to reveal the truth of God's Word to your heart. That you would understand and apply it to your life. So in your Bible reading, it should not just be Bible reading, but it should be bathed in prayer. Lord, help me to understand this. And the Holy Spirit will answer that prayer. Verse, or, or the third thing is to ask Him for clarity and direction to guide you in the way of truth and righteousness with the big decisions in front of you that day, with the big tasks. The Holy Spirit will grant you the wisdom of God for those big decisions. I find myself often praying the latter two in my study. 
Lord, help reveal your word to me so I can understand it and apply it to my life and preach it to others. Lord, would you give me guidance, direction, clarity on this big decision that I have in front of me? And I just wait and continue to pray. And it is often in those prayers that clarity comes to my mind. The understanding of God's word comes to my mind. I've never had a moment where the Spirit did not answer that prayer. Pray in the Spirit, dependent upon Him, walking in Him, being led by His guidance. Letter C, pray with all perseverance. Pray with all perseverance. Look at the end of 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Perseverance, endurance, fighting through it. That's how we ought to be praying. Fighting through the prayer. We understand that that's required in prayer sometimes, is it not? To be disciplined in it, to set aside time for it, to remove all the distractions, to stay focused and alert in the prayer time. It's not easy. It's hard work. In my junior high small group, our leader presented a book for us to go through. I was in junior high. The book is or or was The Hour That Changed the World. You heard of this book by Dick Eastman? The whole premise of the book is that with this practical guide, you could pray for one hour straight. Now, how do you think as a junior higher I felt about that? Yeah, needless to say, our, our group was not very excited about this book. <laughs> like, we, we don't think enough thoughts in three days to fill a prayer in one day for one hour. We're junior hires. It's video games and sports for us. I thought it was impossible. As we went through the book, it was remarkable. <laughs> the way that He broke up the prayer time into categories and and practical things to pray for. Even in junior high, we found that it was, in fact, possible to pray for an hour straight. It just required some discipline and endurance. I remember going to one of my mentors. This was early in my Christian walk, and I was telling him, I'm frustrated with my prayer life. I expressed frustration with my prayer life. Felt like my prayer life had just become routine. I was getting easily distracted. My mind wasn't really engaged with what I was saying. You know how when you read a book and you're like, you know, a couple pages in and then you come to think, wait a minute, I don't even know what I just read. That's how I was feeling about my prayer life. Felt like I was throwing up words in the sky and, and forgetting what I had even said. My mind wasn't really engaged with what I was saying. I felt like I wasn't talking to God, but I was talking to a wall. And so I just gave up after about two minutes of trying. (laughs) I'll never forget what he said to me. Incredibly profound. He said, Morgan, stay on your knees and keep praying. That was it. Morgan, stay on your knees and keep praying. His point was simple. Prayer, just like any other discipline, is work. And it requires endurance, perseverance, persistence. It's it's like a muscle you may have heard. 
And the reality is, is that most of us have an atrophied prayer muscle. It hasn't been worked. It hasn't been stretched. And so no wonder we start for two minutes in a prayer and we easily get distracted and we give up and quit. But the command for us from Christ is to be prayerful and keep a watch in our prayers. For us from this text is to be persevering through our prayers. How do you grow physical muscles? You, you train, you work out, you endure through the exercise. So how is it that we can grow our prayer muscle? Well, we need to train it. We need to exercise it and endure through it. Set aside time for prayer. Don't push it off. I'll get to that later. Set aside time for it and do it out of discipline. Be prepared to fight for it and fight in it. (laughs) To fight against laziness. To fight against distractions, your own flesh. I often just pray this, Lord, help me right now. I'm weak and I'm getting distracted. Help keep my mind sharp and focused. Help me to persevere. Fight for prayer, fight in prayer, and fight your flesh through prayer. Finally, letter D, pray for the priorities. Pray for the priorities. It's remarkable to see what Paul asks the Ephesians to pray for. I mean, remember his circumstances. Where is he? He's in chains. He's in prison, chained up to this Roman guard. I wonder, what would you ask the Ephesians to pray for if that was your circumstances? I know selfishly what I might pray for. Guys, would you pray that I would be released from these chains? Would you pray that I would be able to escape or be set free so I can go see my friends? For Paul, for me, I want to go see my wife, my children. We could easily, in this situation, pray that God would alleviate our circumstances. That's not what Paul prays for. What does Paul pray for? He says, to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication, one, for all the saints, two, also for me, not that I would be released, not that my circumstances would get better, but that words would be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul prays for the priorities. One, the church. Two, the mission. The church and the mission. We see in, he prays first for all the saints. You got to understand that this passage on spiritual warfare is not meant for you to be applying it alone or individualistically. That's often how it's applied in preaching. Well, you need to take up the whole armor of God alone in your closet when you're having those deep, dark thoughts. No, this is something that we apply together. This is a plural command for the church. So we stand arm in arm together. And Paul reminds you to pray for that brother and sister next to you. Pray for the saints. We need each other in this fight. And we desperately need each other's prayer. Look at 1 Samuel 12, 23. Samuel considers this his responsibility. He says, moreover, 
As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Wow. See, Samuel considered it a sin against God to stop praying for those he ministered to. Do you take your responsibility that seriously? Do you consider it to be a sin against God to stop praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? They desperately need it. Or are your brothers and sisters in Christ an afterthought? Family comes first. Myself comes first. Our circumstances come first. How often do you pray for the saints? Are your prayers self-centered or selfless? You might ask, how can I pray effectively for the church? Other than the obvious ways, when somebody gets sick, pray for them. When somebody's going through a trial or suffering, pray for them. But remember, we don't want to be reactive in our prayers. We want to be proactive. So how can we be proactively praying for the saints? Paul gives you two prayers, templates, if you will, in the book of Ephesians. Write these two passages down. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. These are templated prayers in a sense that you can use to pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'll use, I'll just give you an example. I'm going to pray for my sister, Jane. Lord, I thank you for Jane, my sister in Christ. I pray that you would grant her a spirit of wisdom. I pray that she would know the hope of her calling the riches of your glorious inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of your power in her life. I pray that you would strengthen her through the Holy Spirit. I pray that Christ would dwell in her heart, that she would be rooted and grounded in his love. I pray that she would grow and be filled with all the fullness of God. There's just an example of me substituting Jane and Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. You can do that too. Praying for brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying for the church. Number two, the mission. We're coming to a close here. The mission. Paul prays that words would be given to him to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I love that Paul calls himself an ambassador in chains. Doesn't matter the circumstances. He was an ambassador in shipwreck, an ambassador in stoning, an ambassador in prison multiple times. Doesn't matter where he's at or what's going on in the government or in his own life circumstances, Paul remained an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador is a spokesperson, a herald on behalf of another. And who was Paul a herald for? He was a herald for Christ a herald to the Gentiles, to the lost, those in need of a Savior. And even in prison, Paul was mindful of this mission. I wonder, what are your circumstances right now? Surely they're not as desperate as Paul, yet are you constantly mindful of the mission? Or are you more often praying that God would relieve your circumstances, make it easier for you? No, our, our mission is not to be more comfortable. Our mission is not that life would be easier. 
mission is to reach the lost with the gospel. And we have to be mindful of that mission in our prayers. Paul asked for two things, gospel words and gospel boldness. In the parallel passage in Colossians, Paul prays for gospel opportunities and gospel clarities. It's all about the gospel. This is helpful for us to know how we ought to pray missionally. Praying missionally. Mothers, you can pray this. Lord, I pray that you would open doors for gospel conversations with my kids today. Dads in the workplace, Lord, I pray that you would open doors for gospel conversations with my coworkers today. With my friend from high school, with my neighbor, with the construction worker remodeling our kitchen, etc. Praying missionally, Lord, I pray that you would grant me and others the right words to say and clarity. That our speech would be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we know how to answer each person. Lord, I pray that you would grant me and others boldness, courage to proclaim the gospel, even in the most hostile environments, even at the cost of my reputation, at the cost of my comfort, even when my life's at stake. You know, I find that we often pray for gospel opportunities, and that's an okay thing to pray for. I wonder if we ought to more often pray for gospel boldness, because don't we have opportunities every day, and plenty of them, (laughs) in discipling our children, in our Interactions with neighbors, coworkers, grocery store clerk, gospel opportunities all around us. Do we take advantage of them? Do we proactively pray for them? So, how is your prayer life? Are you praying at all times or sporadically and inconsistently? Are you praying in the spirit or more often living in the flesh? Are you praying with all perseverance or with little to no effort? Are you praying for the priorities, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the mission, or for self-preservation, for comforts, for the circumstances in your life? May we all take up the whole armor of God and be prepared to stand in this spiritual war in which we live. And the only way we can do that is to be prayerfully alert in it. Let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters at Foothill Bible Church. I pray that you would strengthen them with the power through the Holy Spirit. I pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they would be rooted and grounded in his love, that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. 
And we look to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.